0: Hey, mom friend, are you approaching your due date or are you considered right now to be overdue and are wondering when your baby is going to make their grand appearance? Maybe today will be the day, you never know. (laughs) In today's episode, we will be talking about due dates. Due dates are one of the most anticipated dates we prepare for, one of the first things we know and get asked by family, friends, and even strangers in passing. But the closer we get to them, the more phone calls, and tax we receive multiple times a day wanting to know the same thing, which is, have we've had our baby yet? (laughs) Although those are all sent with good intentions, it can become like a double-edged sword. It can cause us to feel like we need to have our body perform in some way that it currently isn't and can raise a lot of doubt within ourselves, our baby, and just the whole birth process in general. Today, I will be sharing with you what due dates actually mean, what will be the sure thing that will kick start labor, which will completely blow your mind. And what is not necessary if you happen to actually go overdue? You will also learn a few tips on how to support your body around, on, or if you eventually end up going overdue. And I hope today you find comfort and continue to trust the process because let me tell you mama you will not be the first person in history to be pregnant forever even though it probably feels like it if you're my mama whose due date is approaching fast or you just found out that you were due congrats but don't go into labor day not being prepared and take a childbirth education class as early as 24 weeks i currently offer a full comprehensive informational childbirth education course that will support you in pregnancy prepare you physically and mentally for childbirth, prepare you for postpartum, and set you up for success for your motherhood journey. I only take on a few clients a month, so space and time is limited. To partner together and register for this amazing course, simply go to my website, which is linked in the description of this podcast, or email me at Coaching at simplifiedbirthandmotherhood.com, which is also linked in the description. With all that, I'll see you inside. Hey mama, welcome to Simplify Birth and Motherhood. I am Amanda, I am a wife and mom of four. I have had a hospital birth, unexpected C-section, a few home births, and now I am a birth advocate, childbirth educator, and your cheerleader in the toughest hood of them all, motherhood. Do you wish you knew what options were available to you when becoming a new mom or adding more to the mix? Are you ready to nurture and build up your mom gut so you can be more confident, educated, and bold? In this podcast, you will begin to understand, find support, and turn knowledge into power through education and resources for pregnancy, childbirth, postpartum, and for the early years of motherhood. If you are ready to get clarity to empower your birth and motherhood journey, then throw up your unbrushed hair, hike up your high-waisted pants, because sister, (laughs) I know you are wearing them. Put the baby in the ergo, and let's start feeding our God-given mom guts see you inside. Okay, come on in. I'm so glad that you made it. All right, so to start off this episode, I am going to read a really awesome review that Hannah Joed, left for me and its title this woman has so much knowledge. I'm so grateful for this podcast and everything Amanda shares as a mom of one with a pretty awful pregnancy and birth story. I'm always wanting to learn more and know my options for the future. This is a trusted source of answers for all my questions. Well that is awesome. Thank you so much Hannah for that. I really appreciate that. I mean, what's the point of having knowledge if you don't want to share it or can't share it? And that's what I'm here for is to help you and to share whatever I can and what I do know to make things a little bit more easier for you so thanks again Hannah okay so let's jump into it Due dates are one of the first things that we know. And chances are you've been asked, what's your due date? More than one time during your pregnancy (laughs) and possibly by the same people more than one time. I mean, we do things to prepare for this day. I mean, we hire babysitters we make sure family's into town. And what's so tricky about due dates sometimes, especially when it comes to having family come into town, is they wanna know, well, when should we come? What if we do come and you don't have a baby? But then we have to go home. We want to be there to help you or to watch the other kiddos It's really hard to plan stuff around our due dates. It's hard to take vacations It's hard to have friends and family come over It's hard to even just go within a 10 mile radius from where we're going to be having our baby Because you just you never know and due dates are like little stinkers (laughs) Because you just, you can say one thing, but is it really going to happen on that day? No, we don't really know. And sometimes we bank so much hope in them. And when the time comes around, we're like, what, why, why is this not happening? <laughs> I mean, due dates really in retrospect are not magic tricks where we just say abracadabra and bam, baby is here. It doesn't also have the ability to tell our babies when to be born. It's not like babies all have been there with a calendar and marking it off and has that date circled in red. And then when that day comes around, they're like, showtime, <laughs> you know, I'm here ready to report for duty. It just doesn't work like that. So it's just very tricky, puts a lot of pressure on us and... We're going to just go through that today. So we're going to start off by talking about simply how is a due date calculated? If no one really knows when baby's going to be born, why do we even calculate it? (laughs) Where did this come from? Due dates simply put are calculated based on the average pregnancy normal pregnancies last or average pregnancy lasts about 280 days or 40 weeks and this is really calculated one based on your last cycle start so your first day of your menstrual period two they go back three months and then they add one year and seven days So a good example is, as you guys know, I'm currently pregnant and my last cycle start was August 9th of 2022. Going back three months, that would be May, add one year, which would be 2023, which is now, and count seven days would be May 16th. So that's my due date. (laughs) Do I hold to it as if it's the Bible? No, I don't. And I at least go a week late. I've never have been on time never was on time with my first. I mean, we all learned that story. Even my second, even my third, even around my due date, I was always at least a week or maybe a little week after when I went into labor naturally. So we'll see with this one. <laughs> I don't know. Every pregnancy and birth is different. Okay. So if you have ever gotten pregnant, even through IVF, the way that they calculate this is they calculate your due date based on the age of the embryos and the day that they were transferred. Super easy and super simple. Nothing too complicated. But with this estimation, this is not an exact date. And let me explain why I say this. It's because this calculation is based on if you know what your last cycle day was, and this is also based on when it comes to cycle, is if you are regular. So a regular cycle duration they consider to be an average is 28 days. It also is if you know when you've ovulated. Again, the average of when they suspect all women is that everybody's ovulating on the 14th day into their cycle. But How many of us hearing that, that, um, that's not me. I don't have a 28, straight 28 day cycle. I'm either more or I'm less or I'm way less or I'm way more. And that I don't know when I ovulate because I don't know the signs. I don't know the symptoms. I don't know any of that. (laughs) This also means... (laughs) If you are not within this range, that it is not taken into account when it comes to the general all-around calculation that they use. So if you're not within this range or in this normal, you don't know when you ovulated, Uh, maybe you didn't ovulate on the 14th day, maybe it was on the 8th day, and sometimes when it comes to ovulation, sometimes our ovulations sometimes can be off, sometimes we think that we're ovulating, but we're really not, or we just don't know how to track our symptoms. We're not tracking our internal body temperatures, uh, cervical mucus. We're not doing anything along those lines to really exactly come down to the point where this is how many days into my cycle that I ovulate. But not a lot of women know what their own personal average is. And so when it comes to the calculations of your due date, say you find out that you're pregnant and they're like, okay, well, when was your last menstrual period? You might know the start date of that, but you might not fit into the average. So that's one thing that it does not consider in the calculations. So if you're off in reality, maybe not on paper, might not be exactly when you're going to have your baby or exactly according to that chart. So that's one thing that it doesn't take into account. This is why sometimes your practitioner will recommend an ultrasound to be done by 13 weeks to confirm the gestational age of your baby because the earlier the better for one but also even if that might be a little off and might not align exactly with what was originally calculated I would go with the one that adds more time for the sake of adding more time on your side for your sake. A Cochrane review that was published in 2015 concluded that an early ultrasound improves, doesn't finalize or guarantee, only improves the early detection of multiple pregnancies, which is great. We kind of want to know if we're having one or two or a thousand, but as long as we know that there is, we know how many is in there, how many babies are in there, and an improved gestational dating that may result in fewer inductions for post maturity. How they measure when it comes to gestational aging or dating, when it comes to an ultrasound, the way that they do it is they don't do it based off of your last menstrual cycle. They might ask you on the paperwork, when was your last menstrual cycle? And they'll take a look at it. But how they really measure and date the baby is they measure the baby from the crown of baby's head to the rump. The machine calculates and tells what the what that date is based off of how big they are. And based on research, it seems like if you want to get an ultrasound to get an idea of a due date, the best time to do it is early in your first trimester. So the earlier, the better. And the reason being is because once you get further into your pregnancy, the various measurements they do on baby may cause it to be off. And if your last menstrual period and the early ultrasound is consistent with one another, then the due date shouldn't be changed as your pregnancy goes along. And in fact, as you get more into your pregnancy, you're talking, like third trimester, ultrasound becomes the least reliable. And the due date should only be changed if there is a rare circumstance or if the dating of our based off calculations from our provider that was done in the beginning, and then we find out in our third trimester that the days off are at least by, they say, the research says like 21 days, which is a huge significance. So of course, we're going to want to change the date to something that is going to have a better idea or a little bit better of an estimation on how one, how old the baby is, how old the placenta is, but also to when we should kind of roughly expect for baby to come. Still, not an exact, time not an exact date. It still improves those chances of knowing and it still is a good estimation. But even then, it should not be changed at all. Again, I am not a medical practitioner. I am not an sonographer. But in my opinion, it should not really affect what was originally stated in the beginning. So I am not somebody who is completely against ultrasounds. And I feel like if you are going to get ultrasounds, you should try to make them as minimal. Not because they're bad, but we just don't know. Know the research with ultrasounds just quite yet I mean there's some out there saying that having frequent ultrasounds is not good for baby it's like putting your ear up to a stereo at a concert that's what the baby it's what they're experiencing but again we don't really know what baby is feeling at all because one we're not them but two there's just not enough research right now to show that it really affects the baby in a bad way or a long term there's really nothing showing that right now not to say that they aren't doing or conducting research based off of it but until then we can only only assume what we do know is that when we do get an ultrasound, I mean, I've experienced this, baby is moving around a lot. Baby is kicking a lot. So they do feel something and there is something about it that does cause them to be a little bit more active during that time. And even if you don't feel it, you kind of do see it on the screen that baby is moving. So to say that babies aren't affected by it is maybe not true, (laughs) or maybe does hold, hold a little bit of weight to it. We won't really know until there's more research on it. You can limit your ultrasounds, And my recommendation is as you get further into your pregnancy to try to limit that and only do ultrasounds based on if you absolutely necessarily need to do it. You can have ultrasounds at the early stages of your pregnancy and at any time during your pregnancy, but it doesn't mean that you have to. It is something that you can say no to and opt out of. Unless there is a real medical reason for it or your provider needs to know information that has the ability to change the course of your treatment, then by all means, you should decide to do it and you should consider the pros and cons of doing that, but it is not required and can be your decision to ultimately make. But it is at delivery that we can only know for sure what our due date is as well as the age of our baby and the placenta. So what does this all mean? How is this information helpful? This means that your due date is just an estimation and it can be off, whether it's calculated by a chart or whether the gestational age is confirmed or dated on a machine based on measurements it's all an estimation so we don't really know we don't we don't know and there's no day on paper there's no date that can actually tell us that we're going to have a baby on that day or that our baby is going to come and that there's a guarantee and when you talk to other moms even ones that have already had babies first-time moms especially but moms who have actually gone through IVF where they know exactly the day that the embryos were transferred and how old they were. Or... I mean, it is very, very normal for moms to go over about seven to 10 days past their due dates. I mean, I'm a perfect example of that because I had I had one, I went ridiculously long and I was a first time mom, but then my second baby still went a weekly and then my third baby's a weekly. So it doesn't matter if you're a first time mom, second time mom, third time mom. I mean, I very rarely see moms go into labor naturally or on their own on their due date. I see moms have babies before that day and <laughs> I've seen have moms have babies way before those dates. So it's just an estimation. So it doesn't, everybody is different. and Every birth is different. So there are other ways to still wait it out and to trust the process. Because let me tell you, it does not matter if it says this date or that date. Dates do not tell our baby when to be born. They just don't. What really kickstarts labor, the number one thing that is going to send you into labor is baby. Baby's going to be the one to tell you. The saying of baby will come when he comes is a real saying and there's scientific reason why people say that. The entire time baby is growing in our uterus, baby is and will send signals into the amniotic fluid. The placenta and the umbilical cord all communicate to mom's body of what they need and what baby needs. So it's like a telephone line between mom and baby because we're communicating our internal organs. Everything within us is communicating with our baby by giving it what it needs. But baby is telling our body (laughs) what it needs, and our body's responding to that by providing what they need. So what babies does is they're releasing things like hormones, enzymes, different cell markers, and surfacant, which is a mixture between fat and protein that is made inside their lungs. This is no different when baby is ready to be born. When baby is ready to be born, they will send a hormone signal to mom's brain, but one of the most important signals actually comes from their lungs. And what they do is they release this protein from their lungs into the amniotic fluid that signals mom that they are ready to breathe actual air, which causes a response to mom to begin the labor events. These same proteins are also ones which are necessary for baby for them that will help their lungs work well after birth. Although, Prostaglandins ripen the cervix. It is the protein from baby's lungs that triggered the signal to start labor. And in response to that, mom's brain, your brain, through the hypothymias, that will release oxytocin that will be released through the bloodstream through the pituitary gland, which will cause the uterine to produce contractions. It will also produce the production of prostaglandins. So it all happens with just this small little protein, a small signal of baby telling you I'm ready to to breathe air and it's because they have that protein fat mixture that's in their lungs that says, okay, we are ready. In other words, babies don't need our permission to come and due dates don't do that. What does is their lungs. What does is them saying, I'm ready to be born. And there are other things that can tell us that labor is coming. Dilation is not the most important thing when it comes to having a baby, although it is very important. I mean, that sucker's got to (laughs) open to let baby out out but a lot of other things contribute to the process like the process is happening the process is coming and I think so many times we focus so much on just dilation alone when really there's so many other things that our body is telling us that we are getting ready it is coming such as the position of of our cervix is it facing forward is it facing into the birth canal because that's what the cervix does it changes position meaning instead of it pointing posterior what it does it goes anterior and the whole entire Time that you are pregnant, it is facing towards anterior. But once labor needs and is going to start happening, your cervix, what it does is it starts going to posterior, so it starts coming to the front. And so that's got to happen. A facement or the thinning of the cervix has got to happen. The softening of the cervix has got to happen. I mean, there's so many other things that your body is doing to get ready for that day. So dilation is not the only thing. Contractions, that's what's causing your cervix to open. And and so when baby is ready, those things will start happening. And it is only done when the baby wants to come, how they want to (laughs) come. It's based off of that. This is where the term, like I said, baby will come when they are ready because it's true. If the baby's lungs are not mature enough or ready to breathe oxygen, then they just aren't ready. And we shouldn't rush that because rushing that or forcing baby to come earlier than what they are needed to has the potential to send them over to NICU or need extra assistance with their breathing. It also increases the chance of cesarean and low birth weights. And as you approach your due date, we need to keep in mind that these are the last few weeks of your pregnancy, even if you go overdue, are so worth it and truly matter. And even though baby is considered at full term by 37 weeks, the reason why we should not rush to do things and just trust in the waiting that baby will tell us when they are ready is because the last few weeks, starting from 35 weeks up to nine weeks. Baby's organs that are already there, they were actually formed and developed during your first trimester. I mean, you're talking the first couple weeks of baby being born. This is why it's very important before you are pregnant to have a good nutritionally diet because normally women don't find out they're pregnant until about four weeks, if that, maybe five weeks. And baby's already done a lot of its major building blocks before then. So what it's doing, is it's relying on nutrients that were in the bank before you got pregnant. <laughs> so all all of baby's organs and major organs are all there, but the in-between of 35 and 39 weeks is when those are being fine-tuned, meaning their brains are getting bigger. Their lungs are maturing and creating this surfacant, which we learned how important that is. Their liver is maturing to filter out bilirubin with high amounts can actually cause jaundice. And baby's skin is developing to help vernix, which helps nourish and protects them, stick a little bit better. And baby starts gaining the weight they need to keep them warm after birth. And their lungs are one of the last things to finish developing, which can be dangerous if baby is born too soon. So they're gonna cause constantly Not to say that they are 100% perfect just before they're born, because even after birth, these things are still going to be developing and maturing. And one of those things is the lungs. The last few weeks, they're finishing off. They're creating that surfecant so that they can thrive on their own, and they are ready to breathe air. The surfecant helps them do that. So if your due date is off, which is a possibility, this this growth might be behind on your paper due date. So what we can gain all from this is that just trust your body and baby because that is the best way to make sure this growth happens. It's necessary, it's worth it, and we need to let them have it. Even for c-section mamas, it is still highly beneficial for your body to kickstart labor on its own and for you to labor on your own for a little bit before going into surgery because that is also telling us that there are certain markers and hormones that baby is ready to be born, which lessens the risk of baby needing other assistance to help them adapt to life after the So now that we've learned all that, and now that we are understanding that, what are some things that we can do to prepare or support our bodies around our due date, but not rush our baby or the labor process to begin? Some of the recommendations I would share with you today is not for the means of forcing something that is not ready to happen. It is not to exhaust you. It is not the means to get you to the end because you're just ready to be done. I know, I know, mom, you probably are ready to be done and you probably, probably feel so uncomfortable and you just get this baby out mentality. So I understand that completely, but this is not why we should be doing this. But I am recommending them to you for your sake of promoting peace in your physical body mentally and emotionally because not having a baby before on after your due date does cause a lot of anxiety. You're probably feeling a lot of pressure from people. You're probably feeling a lot of pressure on yourself. You're probably fearful that what if I don't or maybe you do have a set plan in your mind of how you want your birth to go and this was just not included in it or this kind of puts a damper on your parade. I'm recommending this to you so that you can alleviate that. It's about doing things that support your body, making your body and mind ready for what is coming and when baby is ready to come. This all varies from person to person and some work for others and some don't. (laughs) I'll tell you why. Okay, So here are some things to try and you can do. First, you can nourish yourself with whole foods, but also focusing on eating certain foods or types of foods, such as evening primrose oil, dates, pineapple, spicy food, red raspberry tea. These have been known to cause contractions, but also have been known for not effective contractions and just cramping. And this is due to the fact that they can relax or cause inflammation of the digestive system, but also. Because of their natural enzymes and are precursor to prostaglandins and can boost blood flow to the uterus. Another thing that we can try is any type of movement. This would include walking, curb walking, the mile circuit, stretching, all those things because it uses gravity and helps relax your mind and your hormones, opens up the pelvis, aligns baby into the pelvis properly, which is super important. We want baby in the optimal position because this is why a lot of moms experience back labor because baby is not in that optimal position. And so during labor, especially when we have back labor we're trying to get baby out and back in properly this type of movement these types of movement help with that and they also shift the pelvis creating more space for baby to get into that right position it also has the ability to release tension and it practices breathing this is something that is super important and something that i teach in my classes is how to properly breathe and when we are properly having good technique it helps us to be able to focus on the different areas of our body or maybe in our mind or emotionally to be able just to come back and to bring that peace and that relaxation especially if we are coming off of a emotion that is high anxiety, high fear, tension, those types of things. It just helps us focus on those areas in our body and in our minds that are anxious, fearful, have tension. And so the breathing helps us to be able to do that and really just not focus on things that are around us. It gives us a minute to respond to situations because we are ultimately in control of how we respond to our environment and the things that are going around us and breathing helps us do that. You can also bounce on yoga ball. This just provides support when we are in a sitting position and doing some pelvic tilts, those types of things, which again, help create space for baby inside the pelvis. Things like relaxing baths, massages, anything that pretty much is relaxing and helps you just get mentally prepared. And it's just more of a reason for us to just relax and just trust the process can do this. So we definitely are trying to maintain a positive birth perspective in, on, and around our due dates. We definitely don't wanna be thinking that our body is failing us, or there's something wrong with us, or the fact that maybe we're just not capable of doing this. Rest is also super important. That means taking naps, sleeping well at night. If you're having the hard time doing that, I recommend that you take a magnesium supplement, which is great for relaxing the muscles. That's what the mineral is for. It's the relaxing mineral that we can contribute to our bodies. But also, if you are still experiencing constipation, it also is very good to help relax that and help with that because we're not going to be getting a lot of rest. Labor, we are not going to have long periods of rest during our labor. We will have short periods of rest, but our body's going to work super hard. So just focusing on getting the rest that we need because labor is like sometimes running a marathon. You have to have a lot of endurance, but also to after, you don't really get a lot of rest. That has to do with our our endorphins that has to do with the fact that we're adjusting to the new baby and then to the new sleeping schedule and things like that so rest is super super important so just try to focus on that too we can do some pressure points in between the webs of our index finger and our thumb there is a pressure point in our jaw that we can go ahead and press on not clenching it because the jaw and the uterus are connected there's a pressure point in the jaw so this is why it's very important even before and during labor that we have our jaw relaxed and not tense but also, too, there is a pressure point on the inner part of your shin. If you go from your ankle about three inches, you can go ahead and press in between there. And any pressure points on the feet, too. So like foot massages, I mean, even just like a nice hand massage is so relaxing and so nice. Go get a massage, a therapeutic massage. Go get one before or around or if you are overdue, just go do that with your partner. Go do something like that to help relax and focus on those pressure points. So we want to make sure that we are doing things to promote that. And then lastly is you can also just have an intimate time with your partner. So sex. If your water hasn't broken already, male sperm is so high in natural prostaglandins that can also stimulate labor. It boosts up that oxytocin. So and it's just always nice to connect with our partner and just even not like having a physical intimate because sometimes we're so uncomfortable that we're like, oh, I don't even know if I can do this. <laughs> but <laughs> Just having that intimate moment with them and just connecting with your partner, connecting with your spouse, and just having that time of boosting those bonding love hormones. So those are things that you can do for that. There are other means medically that you can try. That's if all else fails. I can tell you this, that if you are heading into maybe 42 weeks, then maybe you can entertain these ideas and that if this is something that you feel comfortable doing, that you can go ahead and try some of these. So the first thing would be herbs. This would include homeopathic herbs such as blue and black co a midwife's brew, or even castor oil. So these things I only, only recommend if you are under the supervision of your practitioner. Because the blue and black cohosh have the ability to stimulate labor. I tried that (laughs) with my first and that was really one of the things that really kicked off labor was that. And so I remember after taking that it was like things really started pre labor started happening early phase of labor started happening. And sometimes castor oil does for people, but castor oil can act as a laxative for the mom, but as well as for baby. So just be careful on that. Again, that is all else that fails when it comes to trying natural stuff, but do that under the supervision of your midwife. And I don't recommend doing that. If you are less than 40 weeks, the only time I recommend that is if you are heading into, again, your 40 two week and maybe heading more towards your 43rd week. Hopefully you don't go that long. Another thing that you can do is what we call a membrane sweep. You can only do a membrane sweep if you are somewhat dilated. So if you're not dilated at all, this is not even an option for you. It is not until you are dilated that you can actually ask your doctor or your practitioner to do this for you. It involves your provider manually stretching the opening of your cervix and separating the amniotic sac away from the cervical opening. Separ- the amniotic sac from the opening of the cervix will break that seal that is protecting baby from any type of infections, bacterias, any type of those things. The reason why they recommend this and why sometimes moms see a lot of success with this is because it is in hopes of that it will release extra prostagulins to kickstart labor. Now, sometimes when moms get this done, they do go into labor about 48 to 72 hours, but I will say this, that sometimes it can't Produce false labor contractions, which can be very discouraging and can also not produce contractions that are very effective in causing dilations and keeping labor going from that point. But I do see a lot of moms have success with this. However, if you do get this done by your provider, you are kind of put on a time clock. So if you get it done and you don't go into labor, they're going to start recommending something a little bit more hardcore. <laughs> the pressure's still going to be there because they're still going to pressure you to have gone in labor because they perform this procedure and they have seen this as a success with their other clients or they see it happen or they assume that it's going to be a success for you. So just be aware of that, that if it's something that you do want to get because you've tried everything else and you're trying to stay away from the last and final step, then I suggest you do that. The thing about this is that it is too a way to prevent a medical induction, but it also bypasses your baby's lungs in order to get baby out. So whether baby's ready or not, and you go into labor and baby's born, if those lungs aren't ready, like we have learned, then they're going to have a little hard time adapting after birth. Another thing too, is that it makes you bleed. A lot of women say that it's very painful, that they see a lot of swelling of the cervix happening when that happens, because it does irritate that cervical area. It can cause your water to break, meaning that if your water breaks and you're not having consistent contractions, at least within 24 hours of that happening, you're going to end up being induced through a chemical means, which most likely is going to be Pitocin. Also too, once it's done, it does raise the risk of causing infection because it breaks that seal, which is protecting the baby from bacteria infection and things like that. The last thing that you can try if even the membrane sweep doesn't even work or you want to bypass the memory sweep is you could get the Pitocin. Now, one thing to keep in mind that if your body, is not ready, even if you try natural means, things at home, you do the herbs, you do the membrane sweep, if your body is not ready, your body will not be a good recipient of it. Meaning your body has the ability and can potentially reject it. It's the same thing with Pitocin. So, which means you can go in, get it administered, get the Pitocin, wait around, and you could be sent home because your body's just like, uh uh, girl, I ain't having it right now. (laughs) So, that could be your story. That could be a part of your story. But also, what they try to do to prevent that is that if you are not showing any signs of labor, such as uh, your cervix is not ripened, you're not face, there's no dilation, things like that. Then what they do is they provide a prostagulin, whether it's orally or whether they put it around your cervix, they will put something in those areas. Most likely it's Cervidil. They will put Cervidil around those areas or provide a pill that you can take, something like that, to cause that softening and that ripening and that thinning or cause those types of things where the Pitocin will actually cause the contractions and the dilations. When it comes to these medical means to cause baby to come before, around, or shortly after your due date, the reason needs to be that it Is necessary. There is something currently happening that is putting baby or you in danger. It should not be for the fact that you're just done and that you want to have a baby and you want to just move on to the next phase of your life or you're ready to meet your baby, or there's a specific day that you want your baby to be born, or even there's a specific day that your doctor wants them to be born because they're going on vacation or because Christmas and Thanksgiving are coming around. Because who what doctor wants to be on call around those times of the years, around the times where they're, they got something on, going on in their? personal life. Who wants that? And usually the truth is underneath all the ugly truth and in the darkness. What people don't understand sometimes is sometimes that's why doctors schedule you for an induction or that's why they want you induced at 38 weeks because by the time you're hitting 40 weeks or 41 weeks, they're going to be on vacation or it's going to be Christmas time or they have something going on in their personal life and they don't want to be on call anymore. They'll recommend the Pitocin, but that's not the reason why we should be getting it because per the label on Pitocin, then it says that it is not to be used in situations like that. And it is definitely not to be used on people who have had major abdominal or uterine surgery. So if you're a C-section mom, this should not be used on you at all per the label. Sometimes Pitocin is used in place of to fear mom into thinking that if you don't go into labor before 40 weeks, or if you don't go on your own, we're gonna have to do this. When there's really no medical reason why they should, it's just for the sake of don't wanna be on call or your baby's not showing any signs of distress, nothing, baby's still thriving in the womb quite well. If there's no other medical reason, then this is not something that we should be opting into doing. So Pitocin is there and we're thankful that, you know, God has allowed man to use this means for situations when it is necessary, but we should not be using it for the unnecessary reasons that, you know, I had stated before. With all that to say, it doesn't matter how much we try at home. It doesn't matter medically speaking. It does not matter any of those things if our body is not ready our body is not ready if our baby's not ready our baby is not ready and we've learned that if when we rush the process it doesn't really in hindsight doesn't really benefit baby as much if there is not a medical reason or there's a reason why baby needs to be born at the time that they need to be born those are special cases since those are rare but at the same time if you are approaching your due date and these are things that you've entertained in the back of your mind well there are three things that are absolutely not necessary for you to have if you end up reaching your due date, go a little bit past, or have ready to go in your birth plan. Three things that are not necessary. The first thing is is frequent vaginal exams. This is something especially if your water has broken or whether it's been spontaneous, meaning on its own, or artificially broken. You do not need frequent vaginal exams to get an idea of what the cervix is doing. One, because vaginal exams can change so much in a short period of time, meaning it could no action can be happening around your cervix and or around your cervix one day, but then two hours later it could be. We see this in labor a lot too when moms, they're working so hard and they're like, oh man, I've been working eight hours trying to get this baby out. Where am I now? And then the midwife checks them because they want to be checked to see how much they have progressed and then they find out that they are not progressing the way that they feel that they are. And sometimes that can bring a lot of discouragement to moms. So vaginal exams don't necessarily tell us about the elapsed time that has already happened that will equal to how much more time you're gonna have in relation to that. Meaning just because you've have you've worked eight hours does not mean it's gonna take you another eight hours to get four more centimeters. <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean anything. So vaginal exams are not necessarily required only that, we want to make sure that we are not irritating that area, that we are not causing pain in those areas, because that's not going to work in our favor. It's going to cause the cervix to be a little shy, and we don't want that happening. Another one is frequent ultrasounds. We just learned about ultrasounds. We talked about it. Ultrasounds, again, the later you get on in your pregnancy, are less reliable. So you don't need to get an ultrasound. That's not something that you can opt into doing. You can opt out of doing. But if you feel that the ultrasound is going to change course of your treatment or is going to give you an idea that something that was recently discovered or you feel that something is off, then go ahead and have one. But you don't have to have frequent ultrasounds to check on baby. And lastly, you do not have to have an induction date because all of this, whether it's vaginal exams, ultrasounds, induction dates, anything like that, all of that is included in your bill of rights as a patient. And part of your bill of rights is that you can refuse to participate in research to refuse treatment to the extent permitted by law and to be informed of the medical consequences of these actions including possible dismissal from the study and discharge from the clinical center if discharge would jeopardize your health you have the right to remain under clinical center care until discharge or transfer is medically advisable Also, you do have a right to receive information necessary for you to give informed consent prior to any procedure or treatment, including a description of the procedure or treatment, any potential risk or benefits, the probable duration of any incapacitation, and any alternatives. Exceptions will be made in case of an emergency. So you have a right to be educated, but also right here, this one specifically says, you have a right to receive information for you to give informed consent prior to any procedure or treatment when your doctor is scheduling you for an induction date. <laughs> That's not them asking for your permission. That's saying we're gonna schedule whether or not that you have said that. And even if you want to do that, or even if you're okay with that, you still have a right to be educated on what is going to entail that and what are the, be the fruits of those decisions and what's going to happen and what are the benefits and the risk and the alternatives. You still have a right to those things. So vaginal exams, all those things are things that are done in a medical sense, but also in a midwifery sense too. You still have a right in that situation as well. So just know that those things are not necessary. And the only time that I recommend doing things like this, that one, you're comfortable with it, meaning you're at peace, you're giving consent, you're educated, you know what the decision entails, you know what is going to happen those things. You know the risks and the benefits and the alternatives. And if you have reached a point in your pregnancy when you are ridiculously overdue, that's how I was (laughs) with my first. And there is something that is happening that is putting you or your baby at risk, meaning you're coming close to 43 weeks and or there is a medical emergency even if you're hitting 41 to 43 weeks, you don't necessarily need to just quickly opt into the memory sweep or the Pitocin. Another alternative is requesting to get a non-stress test done on your baby. And this includes them doing a test to get a reaction of baby and track the heart rate before, during, and after the test. They want to see the elevated. They want to see how baby responds. So this is something that you don't have to do, but if that's going to buy you time before you start doing these other means, like the memory sweep and the Pitocin, then you can do that as long as you feel comfortable doing that again and you are informed of that and you understand what is entailed in that. So again, that's another option. But until then, don't worry, mama, because your baby will come. And even though you maybe have never seen your body do this before or have done it this way before, I'm telling you, it truly knows what it is doing. Just trust your body, trust your baby, and just trust the process because it's going to be so worth it for you. But that is all for today. Thank you so much for listening and we will talk again in the next episode. Cheers. Hi again, thank you so much for listening to this great episode. If you had learned something today, please make sure you leave a review in Apple Podcasts and share with another mom friend. Also pop on over to our private Facebook group, sign up for our email list and connect with me on social media, which are all linked in the description of this podcast. I can't wait to see you over there and connect with you. Now go listen to your mom gut because wisdom will guide you and chances are it won't let you down. Until next time. Cheers.